Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Somebody truck in a farmer's field, a no trespass sign, a time to kill. Nobody's gonna get hurt, so what's the big deal? Somebody truck in a farmer's field. Meet you in the middle. <laughs> so it's I don't do many of these in the AM kip. Um, and the reason for that, I think, is that most musicians are kind of useless before midday. <laughs> you seem to be the exception <laughs> to that rule. Um, and I guess that's probably a testament to your your work ethic, your drive. Yeah. Um, where does that come from? Is that from your upbringing? Is that from your family? Um, you know, I, I, to be honest, I, I've, I've always been that way. Um, you know, my dad's not around anymore, but if, if he was, he'd be the first to tell you. You know, he, he, you know his nickname was Possum. When he was younger, and we always think he was a crazy good athlete, um, but we always think he got that because he did, he only showed up on game day. He wasn't about practice, you know. He wasn't. I was, I was, uh, I was, I was always working like crazy. I mean, basketball was my life until I was about twenty. Um, went to college to do it, and all through junior high, high school, college. I mean, I was last one in the gym every single time. I, I just kind of always been that. I mean, even when I. When I set out to do music, I almost approached it like that. It was like I want to be, I want to be the best at this, and it was a nonstop work on my craft and um, dedication to it. So you came at it from an athlete's kind of stance. Yeah, but I, you know, but I just think I've Training always kind of had that. I think that my makeup, um, I've just always been a super fiery, passionate. Um, you know, whenever I decide to do something, I go, I go all in. When did music take over from sport then? 
Or was music kind of always there bubbling away? Um, you know, to be honest, uh, like my, my mom uh, played organ in the church. Uh, she taught piano lessons until I was probably in the 11th grade, I would say, you know, in and out of the house. And she always wanted to teach me, and I didn't think it was cool enough back then, you know. And, and uh, my dad had a good voice. Uh, my sisters could play piano like crazy. My brother was a great guitar player. Um, I think I was a little intimidated um, as far as I wanted to learn to play guitar in high school. But my brother was really good. And I had I had one of those families where everybody everything was always a joke and everything everybody made fun of anything you did so it was kind of I waited until my freshman year of college and then um, I got a little guitar a little be a little uh, Yamaha beater and just was obsessed with it from the get go and I, I could feel sports slowly taking a back seat at that point in my life. How does growing you got three sisters two brothers right so there's six yeah. six siblings altogether. Yeah. I've only got one sister and there's quite a big age gap between us. So we've never really been close. Like we love each other, but there's not really like a tight family dynamic yeah. to our household. Um, how does having that many siblings shape your your mentality and your personality? I, I, I guess it's all you in know. So, so you... many ways. Um, I, I, we could do a whole segment just on that. Um, but just to give you a couple little nuggets... Um, like I there was six of us, you know, in a three bedroom house for the longest time. Um, you know, I live with my I live in the same room with my brothers until I was until I was seventeen years old and moved out to go play ball. Well, uh, so there was like a boys' room and a girls' room. Almost, yeah, that like was dorms. it. All yeah. the girls lived in one. All the boys lived in one. Um, and it just, you know, when I'm on the tour bus now, you know, we were we were twelve deep on one bus for four years until recently. I got two buses, you know, so. It was that way, and I was always okay with it. Where I, I could start to sense, even though my, I you know the cool thing about me and my guys is we've never had a blowout in all these years. There's never been one blowout fight. Like we truly respect each other, we love each other, we hang out back in Nashville. But I could sense that living in that tight of quarters would start would, would kind of get to people a little bit. You know, I could feel the uneasiness. Whereas for me, I was like, this is the way it's been for me my whole life. Yeah, yeah. In this, in 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 another sense, though, um, I am very much an introvert at heart, and I think a lot of that was shaped by having so many people always around that I was always seeking my time alone. You know, it's like after the show here last night, um, I, I went outside. I'm signing for everybody, but I'm quiet, and they just saw me on stage as something else. And one of the ladies was like, "Why aren't you?" all jovial right now she's kind of being a little obnoxious and she's like why why are you being so quiet and i just said i don't know what you really expect of me right now but this is i mean this is just who i am you know so um i think that you know the minute i get a second when these tours are over I'm, that's why i'm always taking these surf trips by myself and i go rock climbing by myself i i do you know i i was going to the movie theater and dinner i would turn down going with a group of friends in high school just to go, I would make up an excuse, be like, oh, I got to do this. And then I would go see the same movie at the later date by myself and go, and, and that's not, to me, that wasn't, that's not normal usually for a high school kid, but that's how I was. Here's what I want to ask you off the back of that. First of all, um, were you the only sibling that felt that way? Like, were the other guys all fairly happy to be surrounded by each other? conversing interacting were you kind of like the shy one in that pack i, I think if that, that makes i sense. think that my youngest sister mallory kind of took on a lot of the same things that i did um and i, I you know I, we're all so different 
we all love each other a bunch, but we're all very, very different. Um, we all have our own unique personalities. Um, but we all took on a lot of, carved out a lot from my dad. Um, we got a lot of my mom's, you know, characteristics too. But we were all very unique in, in our own in our own ways. But I would say that Mallory is probably the most like I am as far as an introvert. But Mallory doesn't have, I don't think, the fearless nature that I do where I'll, like, go to another country by myself or something. Mallory will have a tough time leaving her front step, <laughs> you know, but I, I I love her to death. But that we are similar in that way of uh, I think we were both introverts a little bit. Well, that's the next thing I want to chat to you about is your wanderlust. Where does that start? Is that there from as far back as you can remember? This kind of desire to fly the nest and I, I, I see think, the world. I, I think I've always had that in me too. Just like the the whole drive was in me from the get go. I always felt very different than my my friends i felt mentally i was very different um and i felt that way my whole life i feel like where everybody else is seeing red i'm seeing blue and i and um I'm, i've always been very uh my soul's always been very sensitive um i feel everything very deeply big and small things where other people it just kind of floats right by so i think that that passion whenever i am like that it really takes over and engulfs me and, and it's all i can kind of you know from a from the time i was probably 15 i was visualizing and thinking all these things and places I wanted to do. I mean, I even think about, you know, I'm 17 and I decided to go play. I had all these offers to play ball in my home state. Um, but I went, I, I took the scholarship that was the furthest away from home where I didn't know anyone, you know, and it was kind of, that's just kind of how I've always been. But I, th I think that, you know, I looked up to my dad so much. Um, was your was, dad like the strong silent type? Was that no, nah, he was, uh, he was truly a dying breed, one of a kind. He was uh, could be mean as a rattlesnake, um, he, and then he could be had the softest heart on the planet. Um, from the time I was little, you know, he was he throw us in the truck, he cook all these meals, and I mean, we were as blue collars it gets. He didn't have money to be spending on meals for other people, but he would get all these chicken wings and green beans, canned green beans, and he'd make all these meals, and then we drive into really rough parts of town, and and we pass out all these meals. So he had that side. And he also had that side where we'd leave, you know, uh, a Shoney's little or a little Ryan Steakhouse, and he might be in a fight in the parking lot by the time we get to the car. Like, he, he just, he was that guy. He was super blunt. He, he talked to you when you were six years old the same way as he talked to an adult. He shot you straight on everything in life. Um, a man of principle. Oh, man, he was, uh, he, he, he would draw the line in the sand. You know, he, he never... Um, he never wagered on his character. It was always kind of like, this is how I feel. This is what I'm going with. And, and I picked up a lot of that, but, but I think that I admired that with him as a kid. But I think learning, like music was so big in his life. And all of his songs that they were, they were his favorite were songs like Cool Change, The Little River Band, uh, Roll Me Away, Bob Seger. It was all these wonderlust kind of songs. And I sensed that from him, like as much as he loved us, and I know that he wouldn't do it any differently, um, I always sensed that, you know, he missed the PGA Tour by one stroke. Uh, he tried out for the PGA Tour one time, and he got all the way to the final round, lost one and by one stroke to a guy named Johnny Miller who won three U.S. Opens. Uh, so I felt like he gave up a lot of his life. Once, once he started, he had Brian and David back-to-back -back at a young age, and then I came along, and it was like here we were, these big anchors in his life. 
um, and I know he loved us, but deep down there had to be, because he was that wild spirit. My mom would tell you the same thing. He was always the wild guy in high school uh, when they met. But um, I think a lot of it comes from him and kind of watching and observing as a kid. You know, when I, when I could start understanding those songs as I got older, I could see it, that he was, he always had this burning desire to see everything, but he never really got to because, number one, he had six kids did, couldn't make the didn't make the money to really get out and go travel and see these places. So he just always talked about them, and we'd see stuff on TV and be like, "Man, I'd love to get out to Montana one day. Man, I'd love to go to England one day." He had all these things, but he never really, really got to. So, did you feel like when you could leave the house, you were ready, and almost like you're going to kind of not be that same person that misses out? Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I, when I was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I left home right as I turned eighteen. Like I said, to go to out to go to around Birmingham, um, Alabama, and uh, but the minute I got out of school, you know, I, I bought a one way ticket to Hawaii mm-hmm. and I heard about and, that. and lived in a little like Lanai hut kind of thing uh, off a porch. You know, it was way smaller than this room we're in right now. Um, I could touch the walls on both sides, and I'd get rained on every morning. I'd wake up at. You know, of all the places I picked, Hilo, which is the most rainy spot in all the Hawaiian (laughs) islands. Um, And you went down there kind of on the whim just to surf, right? I didn't know anything about Hawaii. I remembered studying Hilo in history class because of the tsunami. So I was like, I'll pick Hilo. And um, bought a one-way ticket and didn't know how long I was going to stay. My my folks thought I was crazy. And I said, I... I don't know what I want to do in my life, and I want to try to go figure out what it is I do want to do. Um, I knew I wanted to learn to surf. I'd never surfed, and I picked a spot that had just bombing waves. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I initially was getting crushed out there, um, but I've always had that fearless nature where I almost died a few times. Like, I literally thought, this is it. I was held under for so long. But when I would pop back up, I'd charge right back into it. Um, and I've always had that kind of thing about me. Um, but... Yeah, I would say, you know, that was kind of the first taste of that, okay, I can step out on the limb and I'm going to land on my feet. And then once I did that, that that one time, you know, I felt like I could do anything. I felt like I could travel anywhere, and I felt like I'd figure it out. You know, I, I, the guy at the airport that night as I'm laying on the bench was like, he had this thing, it was 50 bucks a month, and it's like, I'll take it. And I'd hitchhike to the beach every single morning. I'd backpack. I'd hitchhike all around the island every weekend. That was like my thing is I would just strike out and I'd camp out around the island. I'd come back and I'd work little odd jobs and and I'd surf. I think it's such a key thing for a young person to do. I mean, at any age, I think travel enriches your life. But the sooner you start, I think it gives you this kind of sense of confidence and an open-mindedness and an empathy as well that grows the more you travel. You just said it. If if people got out of their little nest and their little bubble, I mean, I think about all the people I grew up with in South Georgia. And even when I talk to people sometimes, you know, I'll get looked at like I got, you know, with a third eye kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's if people would get out of their nest and really get out and see the world, just like me walking the streets right now, there's every ethnicity out there. There's every walk of life. I truly think the world would would be a much more loving place because you would see you know people for what they are, not what the news is pressing in our face and all these different things and all the animosity and um, 
I think that people would treat each other a whole lot better because you would realize that you could have just as easily been born somewhere else, another race, another color, another gender, whatever it is kind of thing, you know. So I think that what you just said, traveling, has, I've always been open-minded, but it really made me a lot more open-minded. I can't imagine you're a big social media guy from everything you've just told me, but I think <laughs> that the trend with what's going on now with yeah, I think social media is kind of the driving force behind is a lot of people try to cut out those that are different from them or those who think differently from their lives and all get on the same page. Like, I'm just mm. going to surround myself with only like-minded people. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think, why we're in this state that we're in with people like Boris Johnson and Donald Trump being able to seize power is because like people are too afraid to just speak their mind now for fear yeah. of being like, cast out and i think the great thing with travel is you can realize that your opinions are, are really made up through your upbringing your backgrounds your environment and then when you go and meet people who've grown up in a completely different environment you mm -hmm. learn that they have different opinions for a reason mm -hmm. and that that's not necessarily a bad thing and you can grow and learn from hearing other points of view yeah i mean i even think about and I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna just say it you know i even think about something is is as, as little as marijuana mm -hmm. growing up in South Georgia. I mean, that was the devil. Yeah. That's like, it gets pressed on you that this is the worst thing ever. Um, don't do drug, you know, this, that kind of thing, you know, and I think about, you know, it's a gateway drug. Yeah. It's, this. it's this yeah. and that, you know, yada, yada. Um, I was on the verge of, I can't, exp I can't express to you, um, I've always, like I said, I've always been a very sensitive soul, period. Um, I've always been that kind of person. I've got a, uh, you know, I, I'm always trying to figure out ways to fix humanity. I'm always like little things I'll sleep and I, I can't get sleep after seeing something on the street where be a homeless guy, whatever it is kind of thing. You know, I'll struggle with all these things. Um, and then, so that's the makeup of who I am. And then you, you, when you thrust me into this thing of what I'm doing now, which I love, um, I got into music for the purity of it, but you want to talk about turning somebody's life upside down when something like this explodes. And I'm, I'm when I, I, you know, I need to stress this. I'm not complaining about the success, but it does. Um, it really affects you emotionally, mentally, physically. Like you're I, the, the first three or four years of touring, I never slept. And when you when you're not sleeping. And you're having to, you're you're going to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and the highest of highs, lowest over and over every single day of your life, and you're getting on all these red eyes, and you're constantly like, you feel that pressure that everything's riding on you to keep the ship going and get up and do the show again, get up and do the show again, get up and do the show again, try to get some sleep. You got a two-hour window, you know this and that. I was losing my fucking mind like during the making of Wild Ones. I've I've I was so depressed I could barely get out of bed. Um, I've was never, a lot of that I've, to do with the response to those early singles as well and the uncertainty yeah, of all of that? Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the uncertainty of, if, am I going to be able to sustain this? Now there's people counting on you. Um, your mind's, my mind has always been racing even before this took off. And now it's like, really, I've just always been a thinker, so I can't shut it off. So I'm, I'm lying in bed and I'm like, okay, well, if I go to bed now, I've got, I can get four hours sleep. And then all of a sudden that next hour goes away. If I can go to bed now, I got three hours. If I can go to bed now, I got two. There was at one point, it was two different times in my life where I stayed up. And this is somebody that's, I'm not on any drugs. I'm not on any cocaine or nothing like, 
I stayed up for 48 straight hours two different times without ever closing my eyes. And you want to talk about going fucking nuts and, yeah. and having to do a show and you're just so drained and I lost all this weight and couldn't get out of bed. I mean, it was truly a dark period in my life. And I tried Ambien, I tried Benadryls and NyQuil's and I never get addicted to anything. Um, uh, I can I could smoke a pack of cigarettes because I've done it, um, you know, every single day for three weeks and then I can just not have one for a whole year. I'm, I'm just so envious of people I've that just can do always that. been that way. So <laughs> my point is when I, about three years ago, um, started kind of experimenting with, with having, you know, every now and then smoking a little bit before bed, um, changed my whole life, my whole entire life. And I'm not sitting here trying to say, this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't. But I just think about what we were saying and that my whole life that was pressed as being this. And I never really bought into that. I just didn't really smoke because it wasn't something I really wanted to do. I didn't really think about. And But man, I mean, two tokes and I'm I'm out like a, I'm I'm out and I wake up feeling great. I don't feel any kind of hangover like the all the pills would do. You know, I, that would make me even more depressed and it make me feel terrible the next day. Um, so even little things like that that I was told were so bad, I've learned now that there's a reason that plant has been is on this earth mm-hmm. and like for something like that, it's it's I don't walk around. It's kind of just before I go to bed if I haven't slept in a few days. And it, it changes everything. And then I wake up a new guy. I'm ready to go again. So um, I do think, yeah, like I just think that if people got out of their bubble a little bit, um, and I'm not even talking about just that. It's so many things in life. You'd have so much more empathy for people and their views and how they feel. And social media is a whole nother bag, man. I just I, I feel like there's there are some pluses to it. Well, certainly for artists, people like myself as well, like it's a platform to promote your output, your creativity, yeah. your work. And you can, like, I exist completely independently of any media companies. And there's so many songwriters out there now and artists that exist completely independently thanks to things like Instagram. And, yeah. you know, you can really just self-promote and get out there and hustle. And you can almost cut out the middleman in yeah. some cases. And, but then on the, the other side is now now there's now everybody's trying to promote themselves yes yeah and people are taking on like you know there's there's people that are claiming to be something whether you know there's some people like that have never photographer i'm a model never run a business in their whole life and now all of a sudden they're these speakers yeah and they go in and and they've built up their social media and then a business hires them to go speak to their business on how to because it's based the on business. the numbers of followers yeah, they've got. Yeah, and it's like this yeah. person's never done anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and we celebrate uh, well, all this ridiculousness. Individuals don't get celebrated anymore, do they? It's more about just like let's homogenize everything. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a. I think it's a. You know, me and my bass player were talking about it. I love him to death, but we will disagree on a lot of things, and this is one of them. You know, where he was like, "Oh, well, there's always been something at every at every." era in life you know and there's always been oh well, when the tvs came out i was like oh this is gonna rot your brain and all the older people were saying this i said yeah but this is a completely different animal it's than next level, all those things because people are losing the ability to this is making people lose their self-worth it's making uh you know um people don't know how to even communicate anymore you go into a restaurant an airport or wherever like everybody's just buried in their phone at all times 
And it's making people seek this strange form of gratification that's that's not even real, you know, and it's it's everything's inflated and it's uh it's all smoke and mirrors. The whole entire our whole lives are becoming smoke and mirrors. And with all the other things that have happened before the changes, that's that's never been the case. Yeah. Um, it so, doesn't actually affect society on a, a profound, yeah, deep level. This is this is truly shaping our entire culture. And like, I'll look around at you know little kids in the park. You know, I'll I'll go shoot. I'll go. I still love to go. You know, play ball close to my house, and I will watch. You know, these ten year olds, like a group of them, all hanging out, and they're all just sitting on a bench on their phone, mm-hmm. probably texting each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, like to me, that's that's crippling man that's like it's that's a uh that's a scary thing man like a 10 year old you know i i i was i was i was surfing the honolulu bay um last winter and i and this to me was one of the scariest things there was a mom and a daughter that pulled up to this just majestic place it's the most one of the most beautiful places in the world this particular spot it's a world-class wave and the backdrop is is just stupid uh gorgeous um and this mom pulls up with her daughter that couldn't have been more than eight or nine and the first thing when they get out right away both of them have their phones and they're just like doing a whole aerial view they 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 never i watch them the whole time 10 minutes go by and they've never taken the time to soak in one moment all they've done is be on their phone or share with each other and yeah they're looking at each other's thing and then the mom's like okay now i need you to stand over here on this rock and the mom is doing an instagram shoot with the little girl who can't be more than nine and she's like okay honey now your your stomach's kind of you need to do this stand up a little more put your shoulder like this and the mom's coaching the girl through it and then the girl they took at least 25 pictures and the girl would come back and check it she'd get back on the rock she'd come back and check it she'd get back on the rock come back and check it and that was the most set they never even looked at what was around them, just one drank time. it in. Never, never. It was all about that photo, and that is fuck. That is <laughs> yeah. really messed up. Um, it's scary, um, and I, I, you know, I, there's got to be some kind of fine line in there. But um, I, you know, I know that I'm not just being the jaded adult. Like it's 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 a pretty scary thing to witness. How old are you, Kip? 39 39 so i'm 33 so you would have been of the same generation as me where when you left home the last thing you wanted to do was be contactable like i'm still that way the whole joy is (laughs) no one can find me i'm off the grid you know it's like i'm not checking in here yeah i'm not like publishing like to the public saying to the world this is where i'm at right now it's like no when you leave home you want to kind of get under the radar and escape and get lost and that's the whole joy of it i'm still that way in but this is the crazy thing. I'll even find myself when I like take being here in this thriving city, you know, like I found myself kind of on my phone more than normal. And I, I, I can see how that's like the dopamine. It's mm-hmm. like you're I'm looking at it and I'm looking at this and that. And I'm like, you know, eventually I'm like, what the hell am I doing? You know, and I have to it's a slippery tell myself, slope, isn't it? step we're away all slightly guilty. Step of it. away from it. You know, yeah. Um, but when I'll go to these other places, you know, and I'm really out in nature and I'm all this, I don't even think about it. I don't want anything to do with it. And I think that's how we were all created really to be, you know, is and you you get in this whole like thing where everybody's doing it and it's all the concrete around you and the noise and the cars and the 
clubs and the nightlife and then you get in this thing and it's um and i love big cities i love thriving cities but you get caught up in it but then like when i'm out in montana i'm in idaho i'm in costa rica i'm in and my feet are in the dirt and i'm outside and i'm hearing the birds and the monkeys and the trees and all this stuff i don't even think about a phone i don't want anything to do with it and that's a that's an interesting thing when you think about it like I'm, i get caught up in it when i'm in the when i'm in this part of it you know um where are some of the most beautiful places you've spent time i watched the documentary that you and your friend made the journey um, to slow heart yeah, yeah. And Costa Rica, look, I've never been there. That looks like one of the most beautiful places on earth. I've got a good friend called Whitfield Crane from uh, the band Ugly Kid Joe, and he spends a lot of time out there just fishing and hanging out. And, I mean, for me, some of the most beautiful places I've been, Cuba, um, out on the the north kind of coast of it, Vinales, where they grow all the tobacco leaves. things about Cuba. And uh, Iceland, just like another planet. Iceland was the most... uh, People always ask me what's my favorite, and it's... uh, they're all they all do such different things for me um so it's always hard to kind of but iceland so you've been there in the summer i went see i yeah. went in march so i got a little bit of the greenery and then i got the northern lights and i got the the snow and the ice and i got the a really good mixture of all of it um hands down the most profound experience i've ever had um i never felt more close to god um, and I'm never shy about saying that or talking about that. You know, that's a personal thing for me. Well, I, th- um, I think I'm not a, a very religious person, but I'm a very spiritual person. Yeah. And I feel like when I'm in nature, you know, you just remind creation is everywhere around you. And that's yeah. when you start to think and like this had to come from something exactly, beyond just a mistake. Exactly. That, you know, and I, I, you know, I say this like I'll say this with people that do uh, believe that it was, you know, you know just this big combustion thing that happened and you know and i'll i'll you know definitely dispute that because of what you just said i mean it's just it's too divine it's too perfect the way your bodies work Mm -hmm. Um, and you really feel that when you're in places like iceland and you feel how powerful it is and i i do i feel super close and i think about even things like like that that's kind of relative to what we were saying a minute ago where it's i find myself you know, and we might be different in this sense where I, I do have a faith about me and I'll find myself praying a lot. Um, I'm, you know, in Costa Rica, every morning when I walk through this certain trail to the beach, I'm praying. I'm, uh, I talk to God and I have those conversations. And and then I get back here and I find myself not doing it, you know, and it's and I know that it that affects me when I get disconnected like that. It affects me. Uh, but yeah, Iceland definitely did that for me, um, and, and it and it and then Hawaii really charges me up. You know, I go out there to surf, and I'm always hiking these crazy trails, and I'm very charged up by life, and I'm go go go. And and then Costa Rica, I'm completely like, it's you know, it's uh, completely puts me in Zen mode, and then it puts me in a more reflective place, and I'm reading a ton, and I'm praying, and I'm doing all these things. All these things do different different things for me, but. Um, I would say Iceland and Costa Rica so far have Top been. Top And Montana. Montana does something very special for me. Montana and Idaho are, are, um, have both grown up, grown high on my list where I, I can't get enough of those two places. What time of year would you recommend going to Montana? You got to go in the summer. Yeah. I mean, those places are great in the winter. You know, you can do all the snowboard and all that stuff. But in the, in the summer, you really experience, you know, it's there's a reason they call it big sky country and you get it immediately when you get out there you know you'll see something 
that looks like you can damn near touch it and it's 75 miles away you know it's it's it, you can't wrap your head around it when you're out there it's so it's so grand that you can't I did the Beartooth Pass on a motorcycle from Billings all the way to Yellowstone. And it's, you, you can't even wrap your head around it. You know, there's buffalo everywhere, bears crossing the streets, and eagles swooping in on these lakes. and pull, It's it's nuts. Again, that's like you're surrounded by creation, and you can't help but think there's something going on here. Do you, um, yeah. do you, if you don't mind me asking, do you feel a connection to your father since he's passed? Particularly, I guess, in relation to you know the way your career's unfolded mm-hmm. in the way that it has, because it must have been sad for you to not have you know had your dad around to see these amazing things happening to you. So, do you get to thinking about him a lot when you're on the road and when you're? I, I think about after him. Shows. I think and, about him constantly to this day. I think about him uh, all the time. He was. He was. He was the best. He was. He was amazing. Um, you know, I definitely have more. There's times when it's I'm super affected by it. I still have dreams about him all the time. Super powerful, profound, real dreams that feel so real. He's always young. He's always how remembering him as a kid. Um, uh, I'll have little things happen sometimes. Um, he used to his one of his things. You know, we lived out in the woods, and he he loved to pick blackberries. It was one of his things. Like growing up in South Georgia, he loved to, he loved to cook too, and he would pick all these blackberries and he would make pies and stuff and and uh but um you know i think about little things like anytime we get a fruit tray on the road on the, it's always like the same thing it's your grapes your cantaloupes it's all the fruit trays in, in any grocery store is always the same thing it's the bare essentials it's strawberries the blueberries it's the same and uh you know i was really uh missing him. this was years ago one day i was in some field some fair somewhere in Wisconsin or something, and they bring the fruit tray up, and uh, it's all blackberries. The whole fruit tray is blackberries. And it might have been nothing, but there's little moments like that where I try to hang on to it, and it was uh, it affected me really big at that moment. Or I walk in the grocery store, and I'll hear, you know, seems like yesterday, oh, it was so long ago. Janie was loving, she was the queen of my nights. And I think about how many times he played that song, and it'll just... Oh man, I'll be a wreck for the rest of the day. So, I definitely, whether I feel him or not, I want to feel him. So I tell myself, you know, and I'm, I, I do feel sometimes I'll be riding the car, you know, and I'll try to envision seeing him in the passenger seat, and 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 try to hope that he's seeing all this through me now. Um, he never got to see the career explode, um, and it would have been great, you know. I think that all kids are trying to seek their parents and especially their dad's approval and I know that I was that way my whole life trying to make him proud and um and I I sometimes get really bummed that he's he wasn't here to witness this because I feel like so much of my life almost all of it was about making him proud of what I'm trying to do um and he always wanted to he loved to fish and he took us fishing as my whole life as kids he would take us down to the gulf about an hour and 45 from our house and he had this little boat and we grew up fishing flats fishing and he always talked about how much he wanted a little tiny little house down there where he could just stay and you know fish you know and i i now i could provide that for him and i think about that how i could have gotten him out of, he worked 70 hours a week at that damn golf course you know where he was on the verge of being fired nonstop. he always had all this pressure on him uh, being the superintendent, you know, and it was constantly in board meetings. Every time he came home, 
I think this is it. You know, I think I'm going to lose my job. He's always stressed out, and I could have helped him escape from all that and ease his mind, and that, that I get angry sometimes that he's, he never, I never got the chance to do that for him. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How many years were you just kind of grinding and touring and slogging away before that label interest came a knocking? And was there any point where you were like, I've tried, it ain't going to happen for me, maybe I'll try something else? Or once you started, were you all in? I think that in? that voice was in my head every day of my life. That's a tough um, voice to deal with, isn't oh, it? Oh, man. I still deal with it. <laughs> I still deal with the craziness. Um, I still have moments where I'm like, I suck. I should hang this up. I, and that, that's crazy. I was telling my tour manager that, you know, last night. Um, and this is just, just being honest, you know. I'm used to, when I come here, the crowds are it's just wild from start to finish. We were dealing with a lot of technical issues last night. I felt like maybe I wasn't as good as I normally was. I felt like the crowd was a little flat, and it was a Monday. You know, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. People aren't letting their hair down, and you know, you go into a sober bar, it's gonna be tough to get a couple guys out there to 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 to, to even move. You know what I yeah. mean? And just that's just how it is, human nature. And nobody lets their inhibitions down, you know. And well, I was so, at Duff McKagan's solo show last Thursday, right? Yeah, and uh, it was me and a friend of mine, Sam. And we were like pretty buck wild. We'd had a few drinks and we were in like yeah. a, the mood for a good night. But the whole crowd was just completely static and stagnant. Yeah. So this girl, Sam, was like, right, I'm going to get on that big guy's shoulders. <laughs> so there's this big guy in the crowd, the Scottish guy, and she climbed up aboard his shoulders and was just dancing. on. Sh- and Duff was loving it. He was like smiling and, yeah. and vibing off it. But the rest of the room was like, get down, you're blocking my view. And yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, fans don't know how much <laughs> they, they control the show. You know, so much so much like i would have been a different guy last night had i felt that that energy that i normally feel but you know back to what i was saying is i get you know i'll get in my own head then i'll be like i suck mm-hmm. i couldn't i couldn't change the tide in the room i couldn't you know I, I start getting really down on myself so i think that the whole journey trying to make it it was battling that voice every day was 
oh, my writing sucks. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not this. I mean, I'm, I'm not. And uh, I couldn't even get in the damn door for five years to even play anyone any music, you know? So. What's the politics of that town and that oh, industry man. like? Do the songwriters I, rule? I or? can't shoot myself too bad in the foot right now. It's <laughs> they're so it, the the politics. Um, it's outrageous, man. I mean, it's uh, there's there's a lot of politics, um, but you you keep trying to tell yourself that that the, the cream will rise. You keep trying to convince yourself of that at all times, and then I, I you know I finally got a got a foot in the door um i couldn't get a meeting with anyone i couldn't even get a chance to play any music for anyone um i just kept playing around town and then a guy named joe fisher who was an a and r at universal heard some of my songs and was telling one of his buddies brett james it was a big songwriter like you got to hear this guy so brett called me up and the weird thing was is i didn't have anything going for five straight years in town and then the same day i got a call from a guy that ran Broken Bow at the time and got offered a record deal, and then Brett just offered me a publishing deal. On the same and day? On the same day. The wildest thing, and the two didn't know anything about each other. Wow. It was the weirdest thing. Um, that was your time. And the crazy thing was the record deal got offered to me before Brett called me, and that's all I ever wanted at that time of my life was like a record deal and Broken Bow Records, and they had Jason Aldean explode and this and that, and I said... uh let me think on this for 24 hours. And he kind of looked at me sideways and was like, okay. And then two hours later, Brett called me. I was like, well, I can't offer you a record deal, but why don't you come by here and let's talk? And I played him some songs and he was like, man, I, I, I see something special in you, but we need to like hone it in, let's shape it. And um, I'm so glad I took the publishing deal first because he gave me the chance to really grow into what I became, whereas it might have been rushed a little faster on the other end and I might have put out something that was never really who I was or I never know, but I look at it like that was such a blessing because Brett was so steadfast in my growth and the journey and he let me record whatever I wanted to record. I had demo sessions once every six weeks, which is unheard of as a writer, especially a brand new writer, a baby writer, you know, and it was like he let me fall on my face. You know, I'd be like this. I'm telling you this song. You're like, okay, why don't you go record it? And then I'd get it back and be like, this song's shit. And I would get to figure out before I would go in, you know, as the years passed, like, ah, this just ain't, this ain't as strong as it should be, you know. And we'd sit down in a room and he would critique my songs and we'd talk about them. And, and uh, I just grew so much from a seasoned guy like Brett. And um, Yeah, that's yeah. like invaluable experience. Oh, man, it was it? amazing. I owe so much to that guy. We're still super close. Um, and then, you know, three years after having that, I'm playing the show, um, and Luke Lewis, who I love to death, um, he was running Universal Records at the time, MCA, and he called me in his office the next day after a show, and I started getting some heat around town. And uh, Are you playing all, across the country, or at this point just mainly around Nashville? This was just all around Nashville yep. at the time, and then when he offered me the record deal, before the record deal, I'll say this, I was CAA, uh, Mark Dennis also saw something in me, and, and they put me out on the road for probably a year and a half, two years before I got a record deal and I was playing, I was playing all over the country and it was me and uh, one guitar player, um, Dave Lapsey or Adam Browder. And we would go out in my Jeep and just the two of us would open for guys like Currington and Trace Atkins and all these other people. And, and uh, we wouldn't really get any money and I'd have to sell like a shirt and a, and a CD after the show. 
and that was the gas money and we'd sleep in the van and it was it was a, it was a it was a it was a grind we we crashed on fans floors that was the thing every night as i tell adam i was like i'm gonna sell the cd and the shirt i'm gonna get us the gas money you find us somewhere to stay and uh adam was a single man at that time and, and he, he could would, work it he could work <laughs> it and we'd find somewhere to crash and uh you know all the Every Were you building night. like a little fan base that then was yeah. growing and bubbling? Yeah, they start showing well? up all over. I still got people to this day that will show up with the little three song demo CD that I made. They'll be like, and 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 she's mine, which is the new single, was actually one of the songs on those old. And I, they'll show up and be like, remember this right here? And this there is the go. old demo. My voice sounds completely different. Like it's uh, it's wild to see that stuff. But yeah, we we started feeling a little following kind of happen like in the Northeast and the South Southeast and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I, I was super grateful for those days before I got the record deal to get a chance to get out and test my legs. And I was doing the bar band circuit down in South Georgia from, from 20 to 22 before I went to Hawaii. So I'd already done that thing for two or three years, playing all the cover songs. And when I got to Nashville, it was all about my own music. I didn't want to play any more covers. It just, I never... Um, I love listening to music. I just was never one that really, really loved getting up and playing a bunch of covers. Other people's stuff. I just that was just my prerogative. You know, I never, I never. If somebody loves to do that, that's great. Like sometimes I wish that I could just sit around and, you know, play some of these songs that I love. But I just, I'm always trying to write my own stuff. Was that always the case? Did you always have stuff to say? Yeah, I was the minute. That's the thing is the minute I started playing guitar at 18, I was already trying to write. And I didn't even know at that time I wanted to be like this for a career. It was the minute I started learning chords, I was trying to write my own music. I, n I never was really trying to learn. You know, to this day, people are like, oh, I'll play this and that. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, if I listen to it, I can figure it out real <laughs> yeah, quick. Yeah. But Smoke on the water. Can't yeah, do it. Like, like, I can, you know, but even like, like standards, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. friends in low places and all this stuff that everybody's always covering, you know, or or brown eyed girl or whatever, mm -hmm. I can hear it one time and I can figure out the chords right yeah, away. Yeah. But I just never, I never learned them. I never, you know, I did it for that brief moment in time, but the minute that cover band scene was done for me, it's just gone from my memory. And now I'm just, I just was always focused on my own stuff. I would try to play my own music back then in the bars and it was like, ah, Freebird. Yeah, Credence, <laughs> you know? come on, shut up. Yeah, 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 man, we don't want to hear your shit, you know? <laughs> so it was, that was discouraging for me because I just wanted to play my own stuff. I was writing a ton of music in college. Um, what was the so, first song that you wrote that you felt like this is actually a great song? This could go somewhere. I've got something here. Um, was there one? Uh, I had a song called Thinking and Driving that I'd kind of like done this little thing around, you know, drinking and driving, but it was more of, you know, I'm, the reason I'm swerving is because I'm only thinking and driving, but it's uh, me and a guy named Weston Davis uh, wrote that together early, you know, in my early twenties, and uh, I thought that was that was kind of the song that Brett was like, "Okay, you can write," you know. And um, but looking back, you know, I wasn't. It was it was just okay. Everyone has to start somewhere, though, yeah. right? But at least you know, ah, okay, there is something here. Yeah, I mean, I was writing a lot of stuff, and I look back at him. Um, I think what I've always been able to do well is melodies always had melodies and i think that even when my songs suck they might have had a good melody back then you know and then i had to really learn the craft of how to put them all how to put it all together lyrically um but and i'm also really hard on myself even now so i mean somebody else might hear it and be like oh man this is this is good you know i'll still have that sometimes if somebody's going through the old catalog my old publisher will call me like man this song's killer and i'll listen and be like ah, 
song's terrible, <laughs> you know. So I'm I've always been pretty pretty tough on myself, but I was I was writing um, early on. How did you feel? Or how do you feel now about the album that you shelved? And will that ever see the light of day? I'm still salty, man. <laughs> um, did you believe in it? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, and, and knowing the fan base, they would have loved it. Um, that's what I learned with Wild Ones, um, because you know the label was it. You know, just being honest, they were kind of against that one too because it was such a departure from Up All Night, which was so commercially successful. Um, but luckily. Do you think it was because it was a more commercially sounding album, or was it just that there was a couple of tracks on it that they cherry picked out, and off the back of them, it was like boom, this is huge. Um, honestly, if you listen to the 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 bones of Up All Night, it's like crazy. One more time is the fans' favorite on that record. That's essentially what I still do, you know. Yeah. And if you got that record, people fell in love with that record because of songs like Crazy More Time, Everything But You. Uh, songs that had a lot of meat on the bone um but something about a truck was so big commercially successful but if you listen to that record and if you come to a show it's such a departure from what we really do it was just that was a song that i wrote in about an hour and a half at the end of a writing session with my buddy dan couch we had written all day and didn't get anything that great it's five o'clock he's about to go home He's got to take care of the kids. His wife is going going in for her shift. And I just started messing around that boom, 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 boom. Just kind of messing around that little bluesy riff. And he was listening on the other side of the door. I thought right. he was already gone. And he'd been listening for five, ten minutes. And he just stuck his head back in. He said, something out of drug. You know, and just kind of spit out that first line. And I said, sit down. So he called his wife and he said, give me an hour, babe. And we wrote that thing in an hour. Just kind of like... Joking around. Just kind of messing around, yeah. you know, like, and then all of a sudden it exploded. But that song really doesn't sound like anything on that record. It's a completely different vibe than than anything on any record I've really ever done. So, um, and I always wanted, pe- you know, when people actually come to the show, they saw what a different thing it was. And that's when they fell in love with the music. The, the, that song got them in the door. And then we were able to really captivate an audience with all the other stuff. And then you know record sales for that record was through the roof because of people we would we would see it like the 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 label would see it like after a show um and at that time in my life i was only playing that record i'd i'd stay even we were headlining shows um you know in clubs for we had to play for an hour and a half and at that point in my life that was the only song i had anybody knew but i'd play that whole record it was a deluxe version with like 15 songs and that's all i wouldn't play covers i play one cover and then I'd play a couple songs that I'd written that week that nobody knew. Um, but the record sales each week after those shows would spike like crazy. Um, so people were getting in the door and they were really discovering what the music was. And they were like, oh, okay. And then I always know it when someone comes to like a meet and greet or a VIP. And I'm always so thankful for something out of truck. And I'm so thankful like radio played that thing like crazy because it got people in the door. But when they come through the line, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm your biggest fan. You know, I love something about a truck. I'm like, you hadn't really, you don't even have the record probably. And you probably haven't been to a show because, and then I'll ask them that. I purposely, I'm like, oh, you know, is this your, you know, this your first time show? They're like, yeah. And I'll be like, do you have the record? And they're like, nah, I don't have it. it. Every time it lines up, if that's their, you know, but whenever I ask, you know, the fans, like it's always crazy more time, everything but you, 
those are the two that nonstop from that on that record are reckless. And what about the two singles that you put out off the record that then got shelved? Do you play those two live? Uh, Dirt Road. Um, and I think that was one of those songs where at that time there was a lot of st- kind of a thing kind of happening. And I think that people just saw the title and just discredited it, thinking right. it was about me saying this or that. But it was it was a song that was really about, and I never, it wasn't something that I really meant, but I was talking about in the room that day of how suppressive sometimes church could be in South Georgia and how, you know, being a kid at 13, I'd always leave feeling so bad about myself. The whole sermon every single Sunday was hellfire damnation and what, what we're all, you know, doing wrong and this and that. And I always leave trying to figure out my own thoughts at 13. Like, why do I feel so guilty and this and that and yada, yada. And that's what we were talking about that day in the room. It definitely isn't was never a thing of me really feeling like if I ever get to the pearly gates I'm gonna be like nah bro unless you got a b c and d I don't want to come in you know it was it was just kind of you know touching on the little things that I felt as a kid you know uh, when the preacher talks of heaven you know he paints it real nice he says you better get the living better get the living right you know it was all that kind of stuff that I was thinking about my the joy explosion on Wednesday nights where this guy was you know always just hellfire damnation you know so i was kind of touching on that and it just didn't work you know and i think it never really even got a chance to work um and then it was just kind of shelved and off to the side and then uh how'd you come back from that oh man emotionally as much as creatively just as a guy it was that was a that was a tough a really tough and that was the beginning of that downward spiral for me right the making of wild ones um I felt like everything was going to unravel. I felt like maybe the team wasn't as stoked about me as before. You know, I was the golden child there for a minute, mm-hmm. you know, with that record exploding. And then it just felt like it was like, oh, well, this didn't work. You know, and I started thinking that. Even if that wasn't the truth, that's what I was going through my head. And everything that we worked for, was, that I'd worked for, was just going to be gone because that single didn't work. And then what if the next single doesn't work? And yada, yada. And um, But I think that, Getting wild ones out was the the pivotal change for my career. Everything, mentally, everything, because it took me a minute. But once that song, once that album really simmered and was in the hands, like whenever I ask the fan base what their favorite record is, ninety percent of the time it's wild ones. Um, that was us. Is usually everybody's favorite. Um, uh, so is this when your connection to your audience really yeah that's starts when it really happened manifest. it was such a kind of cult like following of a record and it just really galvanized the whole fan base and it was like the fan base felt like they were a part of something that nobody else was a part of and it wasn't really getting played on radio i never had a single hit from that record but that is the most pivotal and what it did was it gave me a sense of freedom like i finally got out of my own way and i was like what are you so bummed about just because you're not having hit songs right now like you've got something special happening this is what everybody wants this is what people are really striving for because this fan base is not smoking mirrors you yeah know? you're building there's, something that it's yeah tangible. there's so many people right now that if you took radio away from them for for a year it's over it's all kind of a it's all you know and that's the that's the that's what radio can really do for you is it can 
give you this huge door for people to come in, but what do you have once you get them in the door? Then it's down to you, right? Yeah. What are you? What is the, the what is the bare bones of your music once you get that crowd in the door? Um, and do you have music that's really going to resonate with them and make them feel something and make them connected to you, or is it just sing along ear candy? You know. And um, I started figuring that out, and then I started really figuring out who my fan base was. And I was figuring that out up all night with Crazy More Time and Fly Again and Everything But You. But those songs never got a chance to be single, so you're still kind of clouded in that whole sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got the corporate side of things that's constantly down your throat. Like, we don't, we're not having hits, so they're, they're kind of in a roundabout way telling you you're not successful right now. But I'm seeing something different that's happening in real life out here. And that's the part where Nashville can be in such a bubble. I, I know that there's probably even some, you know, radio out there that might think right now that I'm kind of over and I'm not the, the shiny new toy anymore. There's a lot of guys that are still, like, really behind me that are still, I've always played all the music. Um, but, you know, it's a very, like, n- everything now is about the new shiny thing coming along. And, okay, this is the hot thing right now, but, but, in the real world, we're out here selling real hard tickets. This ain't festival tickets. These aren't fair tickets. Like, you put us in a hard ticket base. Um, well, it's interesting because right now, records don't sell anything like what they used to. Mm-hmm. People aren't listening to the radio anything like as much as they used to because you have so much more means of entertainment now as well at the touch of a button. And the live environment is really where you can kind of just litmus test clearly how much you're worth as an artist and really where the future of i think income for artists is is yeah. through live shows and merchandise isn't it that's yeah, where you exist for sure um i was so actually, if you're existing out there yeah i mean and that's and that's the thing you know it's but people get caught in their little in their in their little pocket and they don't really know i mean a lot of times my own team won't really know what's happening until they come to a show. You know, they haven't been to a show in two years and they come out and they're like, holy shit, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm playing an entire, when we started this acoustic tour a year ago, and this was pretty crazy. We, our first show was in Milwaukee at the Riverside theater, about 3,200 seats. Um, The whole tour was all 28 cities were sold out and we, I didn't, first off, I didn't play a single night for under two and a half hours. And this is acoustic. Um, but the first night I played for right at three hours. I've got three full records and I've got an acoustic EP. I have four hits to my name and I didn't play three of them. I played one hit in three hours. And that's special. We did, yeah. did, did two encores. They wouldn't leave. They cut the lights on and nobody would leave. And every song that everybody shouted out was an you know an album cut, a deep album cut, and it was. Oh, is I that played, how you'd work it? You just go holler some yeah, requests. Yeah, I mean, I, I had somewhat. I had a song list of about thirty songs in front of me. Yeah, but then I'd be planning on to play one next, and I'd hear somebody shout at me, and I'd just play it. And sometimes I couldn't even remember it. You know, I'd have to sit there and figure it out on stage. And they loved that. There was that that real honesty in it. But to me, when I walked off and I got done, I'm like, look at my tour manager, I'm like, and it dawns on me, and that wasn't purpose on purpose but i didn't play pretty girl i didn't play truck i didn't play beer money and it was like i played last shot and that was and that wasn't even number one you know so i i only have three number ones and i didn't play a single one of them and i just did a three-hour show and everybody walked away stunned yeah and and you didn't feel that you could feel that the fan base didn't feel like they've missed anything and that to me was like the one of the most powerful moments in my whole career where i was like 
this is something, this is, that that was insane, you know, to play that long, an entire night of album cuts. Um, well, you'd be hard-pressed to find another artist or band that could do that. And, you know, <laughs> I'll let you say that. But just did, <laughs> but it's like you know what I mean. That's yeah, kind of yeah, what I was yeah. talking about. There's a lot of smoke and mirror fan bases, yeah. and then and then a lot of people because maybe I'm not, and even songwriters in Nashville, they kind of look at me sometimes as is is, and I just know because I hear the chatter as well. That's his thing's not really working as much anymore. But I'm like, you, you have no idea these people that you think have they've had four number ones in a row. I'll outsell them every single day of the week in any city in the whole world. And I know that, and we know that as a band, but a lot of times you get caught up in that whole thing. And I understand that because that's where those writers are making their money is off those, you know, off those hit 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 records. Um, I get that, but but as an artist, this life is uh, is is predicated on these live shows. That part is so special for me is that that I know that we have something very tangible. I can step away for a minute. I can come back, and they're going to be there. And that's a that's a special bond that we have created together between you know us and the fans. Well, you said last night that you've played London twice in the same year, and to have done the second London show as an almost packed the house roundhouse show. Yeah, on a Monday. On a Monday know. night. I mean, that's incredible as well. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'll be honest. Like I, I, I was at first. I said when my my agent manager asked me to come back this soon and do a Monday night. I said that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't do that. But I finally gave in and, and did it. And, um, and you know, because we wanted to do a lot of these other things. I said, okay, let's let's try it. This this is a big gamble, but let's try it. And, to, yeah, I mean, to walk in and have that many people there on a Monday was, was pretty neat. What's the plans going forward? Are you, are you very much now operating at the speed that you want to and the way that you want to? Have you managed to kind of Not yet. achieve a certain level of independence and creative control? I, I definitely and- have that. Um, I would like to to pull back from playing as many shows as we're playing. Um, but as far as the creative part, I'm very blessed um, in that sense. And the beauty is, you know, people like Cindy Mabe and Mike Duncan that, that run the label, they've seen what's happening. They know what's happening out here. Um, so they've, through the years, they've been watching this this true true thing build and they saw it they had church you know years ago and before that chief record really blew up you know it was kind of a very similar situation um organic growth yeah and um they've just been they've been champions you know cindy and as when i go to make a record nobody's checking what song i'm doing nobody it's a very it's a very free place to be as an artist i go in i make they trust me to make the music that I want to make the music that's going to connect with this fan base that we've built. And, um, they just say, go do your thing. And it's, that's a, that's a special place to be as a recording artist. So that part's beautiful. Um, you know, there's other, there's other aspects. Like I was saying, you know, I'm, I'm getting pretty crispy on uh touring as hard as we have, as long as we have, um, I've got to find a way to find a little more balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still haven't quite found that. Um, but as far as the independence, of, of doing what I want to do um, I've got about as I've got it as good as it'll get and what about personally do you foresee a family uh, I that do life yeah I do for sure um, you know I, I, for a long time I didn't know if that was in the cards for me um, knowing how my spirit works and how 
I love to be isolated so much. Um, I didn't know if I'd be good for anybody in that sense because I'm always wanting my own freedom and my own thing. And, and you've been I've grinding been selfish hard in that sense. Yeah, and I've just X been many so, well. yeah, I've been so laser focused on this thing. Um, because I've also known that where I think a lot of artists, they kind of get in a camp of writers and they know that those people can kind of write their thing for them or whatever. Like, I've never had, like, I've always had to, have the controls of my own thing and I've always I didn't feel like anybody could really do what I do in that sense even if they might can I just felt that way and I'd have stuff turned into me and I know they were hit records but it just wasn't something I wanted to sing it wasn't didn't fit the thing you know and so I've always felt like I had to control the marketing aspect the you know I, I there's even the damn lights to my show I sit down with my lighting guy and we go through everything and we're we're trying to He's amazing, but we I just always feel hands on with everything that I do and I think that's a different situation probably than a lot of people. So I'm very um, much like that. I I've never had a producer or an assistant yeah. or anything because I'm like if I give it to you to do, it's not going to be quite to my level of standard, so I'll just do it myself yeah. kind of thing. I had it's a, hard I, to relinquish I, that sometimes, I, isn't I it? I had a guy that <laughs> had just started a podcast, a songwriter that, that you know, I don't even mind saying this, you know, but it's like you know, an acquaintance. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, he kept blowing me up about doing his podcast, and then I finally show up to do it, and he's not even there. He got an assistant doing it. And I was like, <laughs> "The fuck is this?" Yeah. You know. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm much like you. I wanna I want it to be right, and I don't. You know, it's like hand wiring an amp. I don't want I don't want you don't want a factory doing that. You mm -hmm. want to know that somebody's putting love into it and doing their own thing with it. So, and it's tailor made. Um, yeah. For you and your crowd, as you say, like that could be a hit for someone else, but maybe that's not right for me. Exactly. And I think that I've I've built something with that crowd where they would see that. They'd see through it now at this point, you know, and it's, it's I, don't, I never wanted to do it anyway, but they would definitely, you know, I, I can remember getting, an, and this is somewhat relative to what we're saying, um, and there's so many stories like this that the, that, that the fans would never know. Um, right as Wild Ones came out, there was a very, very big brand company uh, that that was doing this summer rollout series of their new product, and they wanted me, and it was like a a couple other pretty big pop star names, um, and I it got pitched to me by my managers at, in the studio, the word studio, and in my head I'm thinking a recording studio and not like a warehouse studio you know and and we're going to kind of be bouncing off each other's songs and it's going to be part of the rollout and the brand's not going to really be seen until the very end kind of like a corona commercial where you know it comes in at the very end of the commercial where it's you know corona and and, I, and he threw out this insane number that i'd never you know six figure number that at the time in my life i was just like you, you could have really be, used you got to be kidding me you know <laughs> um and at first, I was still skeptical about it. Whereas I think, you know, most people are like, hell, hell yeah, you know, but I was still skeptical and I was asking a lot of questions and I finally got, I was like, okay, this ain't so bad. I jump, I've already agreed to it. I jump on a flight to LA and um, I walk in the building and they've got this whole crew of 20 plus people in there and makeup and you can, they spend a lot of money on this thing, you know, and they were paying me a lot of money to be there. Um, and I walked in, and I immediately didn't feel right. I was like, 
something ain't right, you know, this ain't, and it was just big warehouse kind of thing, and I could see this gigantic LED screen behind me, I won't say the name of the company, that's, that's not cool, but, but, I get there, and I'm starting to break out into a sweat already, I'm like, this is, I'm, this, this is, I need to get out of here right now, and, and, uh, and they, they, they tell me to, I do this interview first and it's all about the brand and it's these really like kind of cheesy questions and when did I start eating this certain product and my fondest memories of eating this product and I'm like, this ain't what I was fucking told this is, you know, so I'm already kind of <laughs> hyperventilating and then it's time for the musical part and I get in front of the camera and they tell me to hold this certain product in my hand as I'm singing Wild Ones. And then the LED screen cuts on behind me, and it's this product, thousands of them, and they're, like, coming at me from behind me, and I could feel the glow, and I turn around, and I see just a thousand of thousands of these boxes behind me. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I looked at my manager, and I'm furious at this point because I, I feel like I've been tricked into this whole thing. And everybody, you know, at that time, and I, I felt like, in my head, I felt like people saw dollar signs, and it was like, you know, let's – get him out there, you know, whatever. Well, that's how I felt, you know, even if that wasn't the truth. Might be, might not be, but I was, I was hot. I was really angry. And I could just think in my head of everything that we've worked for. And, and, and that's when you have to know as an artist. And that's, there's a lot of puppets, you know, that might not even have a, the fan base is just a, it's not a real thing. It's just different collage of people that's just kind of heard some songs on the radio. And, but I knew that we had created something that was, that you could define and you could put your finger on it. All I could think about was, you know, the fan base watching this being like, what the hell is Kip doing? And, and you'll never hear that song in the same light. And we were kicked into wild ones and there was this corny shit going on. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. And 20 seconds into the, the song, I just said, cut. And I set the box down and I said, y'all give me a minute. And I walked outside and, I'm just furious, and manager walks out there, and then we get into this really heated, like nose to nose, and I'm mother f this, mother f that, man. I'm just losing it, and I said, I'm leaving. I ain't doing this shit, and I was like, figure it out, and I walked back in that room, and I said, you know, to the team, I said, guys, I'm really sorry. I know a lot of y'all put a lot of energy into being here and I'm, I really apologize but this is not what I was told that I was getting into and I ain't doing it and I jumped on a plane and I flew back to Nashville and I gave up hundreds of thousands of dollars to you know and it was that was a very kind of defining pivotal moment too in my career where I put my foot down and it was like all right and I think that your team also learns about you in that point okay they then know where the line yeah. is <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that was a big deal, man. That was yeah. a hard thing to kind of get out of and finagle, you know? No doubt. Fucking hey, that was a great yeah. story to end on. <laughs> Dude, I could talk to you all day. Um, Thank you. I know this is your day off as well, so I want to thank yeah. you for giving up your Dude, time. You bet, man. And uh, just coming on the show and, you know, bearing some, some real Kip more soul. You bet, I man. I appreciate your you time, bet. man. Um, the final thing I did want to ask you about before we end is the, the skate park and the the charity work with yep. the um because i was listening to a podcast you did with um 
Chris Schiffler and just as somebody who has a lot of skate kind of fans who listen to this show mm. and a few skateboarders on what was the the initiative behind that and tell me um, just about the you know I, i've always been very open about that i'm not some great skater you know I've, i kind of dabble in it here and there and i'll get out and you know i actually really messed myself up in wichita on a big skate pool recently you know i fell from the top you know i was right, trying to ride a rail and slipped a little bit and came down almost couldn't do the show i ripped all the skin off of my whole shin and um but I'm I'm not some, you know, I've just kind of dabbled in it through my life. But what I've always known about skating from an early age is the community of it. Um, and for me, everything that I've done throughout my career um, with my money has been geared towards disenfranchised communities. And kids that don't have a lot of hope in their community, don't really have anything to look forward to. And I didn't want to put just another basketball court in these places. And I wanted to turn a certain demographic of kids onto a new sport and give them a safe place to go, something to keep them off the streets um, and and inspire a little hope with them. That was my whole thing, and I knew that by putting a skate park, it would create a lot of community um, with different ethnic backgrounds too, kids you know, emerging as one. And when you go to skate parks, you'll see the bigger kids kind of rooting on the younger ones, and it gives them that sense of confidence, and they're trying to help them get better and um, that's what I love about it, where it's not such an it, – it is an individual sport, but it's not. It's Whereas not a competitive sport. Yeah, it's like yeah. everybody's kind of slapping, each other you know, you, 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 everybody's slapping their boards, you know, when you're doing something good, and you don't get that in basketball. It's a constant dog-eat-dog kind of thing. So that's what I loved about it. And, and, and when I go to these parks now, I love it because I'm seeing all these white kids, black kids, you know, all skating together, and that's a really cool thing. And becoming one as a community, and that's that's why I got into doing that. And you must have seen firsthand some amazing. Positive oh man, I mean, I, I had a kid. I had a I had a kid come up to me, um, never looked me in the eye. Kind of has had his head down. Soft spoken kid, probably ten years old, um, and he just kind of walked up as I was kind of walking around after the whole building of the park and he'd been skating there for like two months and then I came back to kind of check on the park see how it was going and his mom had told him that I was the one that that built it you know and he comes up and he's just like I just you know want to say thank you I've, I've never loved anything and now I, now I do and I come here every day and he never looked at me had his head down the whole time but he was just like thanks so much for this park and his mom came up later and she said this has kept him out of the games alone because he was getting heavily recruited, and now he gets right off the bus, and he just skates all day, and they kind of leave him alone. And, um, you know, whether or not that pans out into anything and then changes the course of his life, um, I, I don't know. But if only if it only changes the course of one, then the whole thing's worth it to me, and that's just kind of how I view it. Dude, you're a wicked guy. Thank you for your time, man. You bet, Next man. time you're over, let's get a beer. I'm, I'm in. All right, dude. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.